morning. Welcome to Church Online this morning. So sorry that we can't meet together in the building. But it says in Lamentations, because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. And his compassion is active this morning and his love is active this morning. And we're going to sing together. We're going to sing over a thousand tongues to sing. There are not a thousand tongues here this morning, sorry to say. But there's three very wonderful tongues and all of you there at home. So I really encourage you to stand. The compassions of the Lord are here with us. He loves us and he cares for us. Let's sing together.
morning again to those who have just joined us online. Again, on, uh, so sad, isn't it, that we're online again, but that's for your safety and your protection, for everybody's safety and protection at the moment while things are changing so quickly. Today we are going to share in a time of communion together, so if you'd like to make sure that you've got some bread and some wine or grape juice or whatever you'd like to use, and we're going to hear from the scripture in our series, In Him, and Scott's going to share with us today. When I was preparing for today's service, I, I was looking up what scripture will I use, and I actually selected that scripture I opened with uh, from Lamentations, and then found when Bruce's email came this week that he'd selected the same scripture from Lamentations, and I thought, I'll go with that, because that's a word from God. We need to know that the Lord's compassions never fail, because it says in that few verses just before, my soul is dust downcast within me, yet this I call to mind. The compassion, his compassions never fail, they're new every morning. Well, I'd go further than that. I'd say they're new every moment. Because you know that old saying, tomorrow is, an every day, is another day, so we'll start again tomorrow, or we'll start again in the new year. I used to say to my daughters, why are you starting tomorrow or the new year? Start again right now, because his compassions and his love are right here in this very moment. So I encourage you, as we praise and worship together today, and as we share in the Lord's Supper today, and as we hear from his word today, to take a step towards him in this very moment, in this present moment, by the power of the Spirit. Because as we just sung, he charms our fears. He breaks the power of cancelled sin. And we're going to claim that as a truth now as we pray together the Apostles' Creed. So if you're able, why don't you stand? If you can't, don't worry, and we'll say that together. What do you believe? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day he rose again, descended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Universal Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You can be seated if you stood. So not too many things to draw to your attention in notices today, particularly considering how things change about every two minutes. But one special thing that we'd like to do you to do is to consider connecting with us. If you've never watched before, if you've never been here before, if you're new, please connect with us. If you're wanting to ask a question, please connect with us. But right at the moment, because of what's happening with COVID, we really want to encourage people. Perhaps you have COVID. Perhaps you're being massively impacted by isolation. Or perhaps you're very, very anxious because the government's not telling us exactly where we're to stay and exactly what we're to do. And we're having to make a lot of decisions for ourselves. Please let us know. We can't help support pray, walk with you if we don't know. So please let us know. And how can you do that? Well, by the Connect card, and you see that up on your screen, that there's a QR code for you to look at there. And also down underneath in your 
description, there's a link to a Connect card. Or you can call us, or you can contact one of us. Please get in touch with us and let us know if there's any way that we can help you. You can also call the office and leave a message for one of us. So we're going to have a time of prayer now. So I encourage you just to take a few seconds, centre on the Lord, on his desire to bless us and to answer our prayers. Let's pray. As we approach God, God of power and mercy, we praise you for your glory. Psalm 147 says that you delight in those who fear you, who put their hope in your unfailing love. We are praying because we put our hope in your unfailing love, demonstrated to us so powerfully in Jesus. Thank you that you delight in us as we do. As we pray for our world, we think of those starting another year in refugee camps. We grieve with you for the homeless and powerless. We pray that wise and speedy decisions would be made so that they may be resettled with dignity, with work to do and safe from the violence and exploitation they are escaping. Father, may your love for people be shown through the hands and works of those helping. We pray for ministry leaders, for those in leadership roles, both at St Matthew's and in the wider church. Thank you so much for those who step forward to shepherd us and spread your gospel. Protect them and their families from the strategies of the evil one. Guard their hearts, minds and conversations and help them to be faithful and wise, both in their work and in their rest. Keep them in right and humble relationship with you, with their families and with their co-workers. May you take the weight of their burdens and give them unspeakable joy. As we pray for the St Matthew's community, we bring before you today two of our members who need your healing, strength and comfort. We pray for Step Godno commencing chemotherapy. We ask for physical and mental strength and that you would be with Wanda, Alicia and Angie and the wider family in this time of hardship and uncertainty. Bring peace, healing and assurance. We pray for Lynn Sherwin and her family as her mother begins her treatment for an aggressive cancer. Bring peace, healing and assurance. And we pray for those suffering from COVID and those affected by the isolation requirements. Bring peace, healing and assurance. We pray for the health system and health workers and for the supply chain and its workers who are under such pressure for whatever reason. We pray especially for those of them that know you, that they would be lights in the darkness to those around them, bring peace, healing and assurance. And we thank you with joy for the blessing of twins to Natasha and James de Kock before Christmas. May these children grow up to know you, assured of your love for them in Jesus Christ and praising you in all that they do. O oh God of love and faithfulness, there are so many other things we could bring before you in prayer today. We take a few seconds now just to bring before you the things that are in our own hearts. You know our needs before we voice them. We thank you that you hear our prayers 
and that as we cast our cares on you, your word reaches into our hearts and transforms and heals us, bringing peace and assurance. May we be channels of that peace and assurance to all those around us. Father, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to stand together and uh, sing again. Let Christian faith and hope dispel. It does dispel our fears. Jesus is the name that charms our fears. So let's sing that together. ready and opened at Corinthians for our reading today it comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verses 16 to 21 
So, from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. This is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We therefore are Christ's ambassadors, as though Christ were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who has no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, my name's Scott. If I haven't met you, I'm one of the ministers. Uh, it's so nice to be with you, although, of course, it'd be nicer to actually be with you. I'm going to uh, pray. You might like to keep 2 Corinthians chapter 5 open and then we'll begin. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, there are lots of things on our mind. We ask that you might still our hearts for the next little bit that we might learn something about you and what it means to be in Christ. Amen. Amen. Well, from time to time, many of us will subjectively feel like we're not very good Christians some of us, though we have committed ourselves to Christ without doubt, might even wonder whether we're Christians at all. And that might happen when we're feeling flat. It might happen when you feel like you're not making ground in fighting that abiding sin. It might just happen as you drift away from church attendance because of something like COVID. And you might not even be able to consciously track what's going on in your spirit, but you find yourself wondering whether you're kind of a good Christian, whatever that means, or a proper Christian, or a Christian at all. Now, people try different things to combat that sense or feeling. I remember when I was doing youth ministry, every term we'd run a, a bring a friend night where you, regular kids would bring along a non-church friend and we'd have an evangelistic talk and give the young people a chance to commit their lives to Jesus. And some of our regular kids would pray the prayer to become a Christian every term, every single term. I think it was kind of the Christian equivalent of a New Year's resolution to do better, and it was not unusual for it to be our keenest Christian kids. So you might do something like that, or alternatively, you might uh, be searching for some kind of feeling through singing or some kind of spiritual experience that will confirm that you really are a Christian so that you know for sure. Now, I don't think it's a massive problem to recommit yourself to following Jesus by repraying that sort of prayer. And I would hope that we would engage with our emotions when we sing, just as I hope we would engage with our mind as we sing. And given that we're in the business of talking about spiritual matters, spiritual experiences ought not to be surprising. But none of these things, none of these things are supposed to be the thing that makes you sure that you're a real Christian, uh, the genuine article, or that God is for you or that he's even real in the first place. One of the uh, great gracious things about the Christian life is that it's actually very easy to be sure you're Christian. It's so simple, in fact, it can be summarized in two words, in him, in him, or in Christ. 
Are you in him? Are you in Christ? Because if you're in him, you most assuredly are a Christian, the genuine article. Even if you've never prayed in your life, if you've never felt anything tingly when you've sung, or if you've never had what you might describe as a spiritual experience, if you are in him, you are Christian. So let's work out what that phrase, in him or in Christ, which the Apostle Paul, uh, the Apostle to the Gentiles, our Apostle, uses all the time, but which we mention very little. Let's try and work out what it means. What is it to be in Christ and what does it mean for our salvation and especially for our assurance? That's the task before us today. Last week, Andrew introduced our In Him Summer Series by looking at the incarnation. And of course, we're talking about when God became flesh, uh, when Jesus was born into this world. And you'll remember he said it affirmed our humanity without flattering our fallenness. It reminded us that we matter to God. But because Jesus came in the flesh, God in flesh and form, God with skin on, and because Jesus will always be human, he is and always will be united to us. So that's really good news, isn't it? There's unity in our shared humanity. But question for today, how does being united in Christ help us with salvation? Well, I'm so glad you asked. Uh, firstly, we just need to see the data. We need to recognise the phenomenon before we search for an explanation. That's what good scientists do. First, they observe. Second, they explain. You don't do the second without doing the first first. So, for example, in Ephesians chapter 1, don't worry about turning there, there's a cluster of in him verses that relate to our salvation. You can see them here. He chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Further down, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. Further down again, you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of the truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. And so I think they're rather good observations. In Christ, Christians have been chosen to be holy and blameless. That's just a way of describing salvation. In Christ, we have redemption and forgiveness, which is another way of describing salvation. We are further included in Christ when we believe the message of salvation and are additionally given the promised Holy Spirit as a seal or a guarantee of our salvation. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, where our reading was from and where I'd like to camp out just a little further, verse 17 says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. And you might remember in other versions or earlier versions, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. And so friends, observationally, being Christ makes all the difference when it comes to salvation. To be in Christ signifies that you are definitively, assuredly, certainly a Christian, a new creation, redeemed through his blood and blameless in the sight of God. But of course, what does it actually mean to be in Christ if being in Christ makes all the difference in the world when it comes to salvation? Well, I don't know if they still do this at primary school or girl guides or whatever it might be, but I'm sure you would have played novelty games like wheelbarrow races, 
maybe um, egg and spoon races. I used to hate the egg and spoon race. It was so stressful when you were a kid because the egg feels so fragile. You know, you feel like life itself is at stake. And if you had your time again, wouldn't you just go, oh, stuff this race and just pick up the egg and throw it at someone you didn't like? <laughs> I think that's what I would do. The other game um, you often played at those sort of events was uh, the three-legged race where you team up with a partner side by side and they tie one of your, each of your legs together so that you have this singular giant elephantiasis-like middle leg. And if you think about it, it's not a random or a loose connection, is it? You join to that person and wherever you went, they went. Really, you went together. Well, we are united with Christ, joined to him, kind of like that, tied to him, stapled to him, as it were. And so you have to imagine that where he went, we also have gone, or at least we are treated as if that were true. Now, this is certainly the case when it comes to forgiveness of our sins. We are forgiven in him. And you'll see from our reading 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 19, God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, then down to verse 21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. So in Christ, God does not count our sins against us. You think, well, how can that be? Well, because we're standing next to, because we're stapled to, tied to, joined to the one who had no sin, but was treated as though he did, treated as though he had our sin and was judged accordingly. And so because he was judged for our sins we are not judged for them as the judgment of God has already taken place penalty has already been paid so we are otherwise acquitted pardoned forgiven now Rory Shiner in this little book which you probably can't see that Andrew mentioned last week uses the analogy of a bushfire which is timely in an Australian summer even in Lenina where one of the strategies to fight a bushfire is to light a fire in the bushfire's path. Now, that's called a containment line. And what it means is the bushfire cannot burn that which has already been burnt out. So the bushfire's progress is contained. Now, when we stand in Christ, we stand next to him, tied to him, the one who voluntarily endured the fire of God's judgment, though he didn't deserve it. And because the fire has been exhausted in him, and because we stand next to him, there's nothing left to burn. No judgment awaits us. It has been exhausted. Its progress has been contained. God does not count our sins against us in Christ because God has made Christ who had no sin to be sin for us. So there's nothing left to burn, friends. No judgment remains. Instead, there is acquittal, there is pardon, there is forgiveness in him and in him alone. But it goes even further than that. Not only are we acquitted for our sin and our wrongdoing, pardoned and forgiven, we are furthermore declared righteous. We are called righteous in him or blameless in God's sight, treated as if we were as perfect as Jesus was in his earthly life. And it's not only that, that our sins are removed, returning us to a neutral position before God, which is stunning in and of itself when we consider how often we sin and how how many kind of minuses there are <laughs> that are attached to us. Because we are united with him, joined to him, treated just like him, we are given Jesus' perfection, 
his positives, making us as attractive and as acceptable to God. We, we go from minus to neutral to now being positive, pure and perfect in God's eyes because we are in Christ, because we're joined to him. And so 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 that we just looked at finishes like this. God made him, it's in that second line there, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. In him. You can see that beautiful little phrase once again. We might become the righteousness of God. That is, we might be treated as though we were not covered with minuses for our sins, not even neutral, but covered with pluses, the positives, the purity and the perfection of Jesus in his earthly life, only if we are in Christ, only if we are united to him. Of course, we don't magically become as pure and perfect as Jesus was in his earthly life, though we ought to slowly and incrementally head in that direction, which is something Bruce is going to look at next week. But it's that God decides to treat us in that way, as if we were as pure and perfect as Jesus in his earthly life. And though that seems very difficult to believe, trust me, it's even harder for God to do because it involved him making Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us. Judging, condemning and punishing Jesus for our shortcomings and our sins, all those little minuses that are attached to us. But you know what? God can do that. He can judge our wickedness in Christ and he can also justify us or declare us to be righteous also and only in Christ. That we are not only pardoned and forgiven, moving from negative to neutral, but also declared righteous, that is considered by God to be as positive and pure as Jesus. I, I wonder if you think, if you understand, if you realize that is the way that God thinks of you this morning, to be as positive and pure as Jesus, that God might treat me like that, I would say is the most wonderful realization I've made in my Christian life in the last 25 years. It is staggering in my mind. And I don't think there are superlatives enough to describe how remarkably surprising and beautiful that is. But it's only ours in Christ. And so before we think about the practical differences all this might make to life, we must revisit how we get in Christ. And you will not be surprised to hear that the answer is by faith. <laughs> it's by faith. Uh, in one of the Ephesian verses that we have already uh, looked at, it, it was worded like this. It's in the bottom one there, underlined. You also were included in Christ. When? Well, when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed. Or in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20, that Jen read to us, it, it talked about heeding, about believing the message of reconciliation, which by which the apostles implored us to be reconciled to God. But essentially they're saying the same thing. It's by faith. It's by belief. It's by trusting in this gospel message which centers on all that Jesus has done for us. We become in Christ with all that means for us, forgiven, declared righteous, etc. by belief in the message of Jesus, trusting in all that he has done for us. And that is certain. It's not because you prayed the prayer to recommit your life to Christ for the 17th time, nor because you felt emotional when you were singing one of your favorite hymns or not, 
Uh, it's not even because something uh, apparently or especially spiritual has happened to you. All of those things might happen, might not happen, but none of those things are what certifies that you are in Christ. It is about faith. It's about trust. It's about belief. Now that might be the problem. You might think that's, that's the problem for me. I don't have a robust faith. My belief wavers. Do you know the time I feel closest to God is when I'm singing my favourite hymn? Well, Rory Shiner, again, in this book that you can't see, he's got a brilliant analogy that I think is very clarifying. So what I want you to do is I want you to imagine in your lounge chair that you're sitting on a plane. And in fact, there's two people on this plane from Sydney to Melbourne one is a businesswoman who flies to Melbourne every month for board meetings, every month. So she's very comfortable with flying. So she arrives at the airport just a half hour before takeoff. You think, cutting it fine. But she grabs a coffee and a newspaper in a relaxed way on her way through the lounge. And when the hostess is going through the safety procedures, she's kind of way more interested in the business section of the paper. She could probably recite the safety procedures by heart anyway. Well, that's the first passenger. The second passenger is a first-time flyer. Now, he has seen planes from the, grounds before, from the ground before. He's wondered about how such a heavy object could ever kind of float through the air, but it is the first time he's experiencing it firsthand, and he is nervous about everything. So he arrives at the airport a good two hours before takeoff, even though it's a domestic route. And he looks at the gleaming plane studiously from the lounge, checking, I guess, for cracks or other defects. He does about three nervous wheeze before boarding, because <laughs> we all do that when we're nervous. And he pays close attention to the hostess as she's kind of doing her safety announcement thing. And he views and reviews the safety information card repeatedly through the flight. He feels every bump, even some that are only in his mind. And he holds his breath for just a little too long during takeoff. Now, Rory Shiner, who wrote the book, asks the question, who has more faith? Of course, it's the businesswoman. She's completely trusting of plane and pilot. Whereas the first-time flyer, he is full of doubts. Perhaps the more, in question is, more important question is, who gets to Melbourne? Everyone who's on the plane. The degree of faith is not the key issue here. It's about the plane. If you are in the plane, you make it to Melbourne. So it's not about how much or how strong your faith is. The key question is where? Where is your faith placed? Because if your faith, however weak it is, is placed in Christ, you are in Him. The key action is not what's going on in your heart at any moment of time. It's important, but it's not key. Although that's what we usually think. The key action was in a stable in Bethlehem when Jesus came to live among us. The key action was on a cross outside Jerusalem when Jesus sacrificially died for us. The key action was on the day he walked out of a rocky tomb, leaving it empty and emptying death of its power and Satan's hold over us. So friends, place your faith as big as you can muster, but as small as it might be in what Jesus has done for you in his person and work, and you will be in Christ. And from being in Christ, all the benefits and the blessings of being a Christian follow. Certainly, surely, 
definitively. Now, practically, that frees up our hearts from worrying about ourselves to worrying about others and glorifying God. Even in, in something uh, you know, like singing, when we sing it means we're not aiming to feel whatever it is we're hoping to feel just so that we know that we're Christian or God is real or whatever. It actually allows us to sing with unabated joy and confidence with the aim of glorifying Him and encouraging one another. It frees us up from feeling like we better resolve again. What is it now, the 18th time? The 80th time? to follow Jesus with all our hearts, but this time it's for real. This time we really mean it. We don't have to do that. We can actually just get up every new day and remember that God's mercies are fresh every morning and pray, give us this day, our daily bread. Lord, help me today to live for you. It frees up our minds from those persistent doubts. Is God for me? Is he angry with me now? Will God condemn me on the final day? Am I all right with him? Will he take his grace and favor and love away from me because of me? Place the faith that you can muster. Big as you can, small as it is, where the fire has already burned and where you will be gifted with Jesus' goodness instead and the answers become rather pleasant in Christ. God is for you. God is no longer angry with you. God will not condemn you ever, and He will never ever take His love away. In Him, in Him by faith, whether that's small and nervous, or hopefully stronger and robust. Therefore, pardoned, forgiven, acquitted, the fire's exhausted, nowhere else to burn, and declared righteous, considered as perfect and pure as Jesus, because we are united with him, tied to, stapled to him. It's a whole bunch of things that we try to do to feel more Christian or a better Christian, whatever that means, or just scraping by Christian but our New Testaments remind us it's about Christ, not so much us. So we can be saved and we can be certain because we are in him. Well, let's pray together. Heavenly God, Father God, fill our hearts and our minds, our spirits with the certain knowledge, the assurance that you love us, that we are neither condemned nor that you're angry with us, but that we are forgiven, that no judgment awaits us. And furthermore, you look at us as pure and perfect as Jesus was in his earthly life because we have placed our trust, however small or big it might be, in him. And remind us each new day to place our trust in him. And we pray these things in him amen we're going to sing in response
Good morning, everyone. We're now going to be celebrating the Lord's Supper, so if I can just encourage you to be ready for that. If you haven't got your little bread, juice, whatever, now's a good time to get it for those in the building. We've got our little communion packs here. I've got 10 other of our brothers and sisters here who I'll be celebrating with, and obviously all those who are online. Uh, While you are getting your bread and juice, if you have to go out, let me just say a quick word from Andrew. Graham, he did want to pass on his thanks for those who've prayed, uh, those who've helped. He is recovering, and so looking forward to being back on deck soon. As we think about the whole topic of assurance, it's wonderful that we can celebrate the Lord's Supper because this meal, in many ways, reflects the union that we have with Christ. Um, It's a symbolic meal where we eat bread, we drink juice, And it reminds us that we are in him, that we are united to him. And let me just read these words from the passage we had. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We're saved and have assurance because Christ came and he died on the cross for us and he bore our judgment. And we are in him now, rescued, saved, assured. God has cancelled the sin and debt that we had before God because of what Christ has achieved for us. And so although we're completely unworthy before God because of our sins to approach him in his great love for us and in order to raise us from the darkness of death to everlasting life, our Saviour Christ humbled himself to share our life and to die on a cross for our sins. In the light of that, let us now confess our need for forgiveness from God And it's what we do as people who are in Christ, we reaffirm our faith in him. We also reaffirm our need for him by confessing our sins to him. And so let's pray this prayer of confession together. Heavenly Father, we praise you for adopting us as your children and making us heirs of eternal life. In your mercy, you have washed us from our sins and made us clean in your sight. Yet we fail to love you and serve you as we should. Forgive us our sins and renew us by your grace, that we may continue to grow as members of Christ, in whom alone is our salvation. Amen. Well, let me read some words of assurance from the Scriptures regarding the fact that we are forgiven. The Apostle John in 1 John writes these words, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Well, we thank our Heavenly Father that in his love and mercy, he gave us his only Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross to save us. And by this offering of himself once and for all time, Jesus made the perfect, complete, and full sacrifice for the sins of the whole world, satisfying God's just and full demand. Jesus commanded us to remember his death until his coming again. And on the night he was betrayed, he took bread. And he took the bread into his hands and he gave thanks and he broke it. And then he gave it to his disciples saying these words, Take and eat, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way after the meal, he took the cup into his hands And he gave thanks to God, and then he gave it to his disciples, saying these words, Drink from this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. 
do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And so let us take our bread. For those who are in the building, you might want to take off your lids and uh, have the uh, bread and juice ready. And let's take some bread and eat and remember that Christ was given for us and that we're united to him and to his body, which was broken for us. And let's take our cups and drink and remember that Christ's blood was shed for our sins so that in him we are forgiven and we are protected and we have assurance. Let's drink. Let's pray together this prayer of thanksgiving that will come up on the screen now. Together, Father of all, we give you thanks and praise that when we were still far off, you met us in your Son and brought us home. Dying and living, he declared your love, gave us grace and opened the gate of glory. May we who share Christ's body live his risen life, we who drink his cup bring life to others. We whom the Spirit lights give light to the world. Keep us in this hope that we have grasped, so we and all your children shall be free, and the whole earth live to praise your name. Amen. Well, friends, I hope you're enjoying reflecting, thinking, learning about what it means to be in Christ, to be in him, Uh, It is a wonderful truth, not often spoken about, but so profoundly a part of what the New Testament teaches, defines our relationship with God. We are people who are united to Christ. And so go in the knowledge of that and be assured that when you are in him, you are secure in your walk with God. You have assurance of salvation. Let me finish with the words from uh, Romans. May the God of hope fill us with all joy and peace as we trust in him so that we may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. May you have a great week. Obviously, in this COVID-affected time, uh, everything changes week by week. We'll be in touch with the weekly email if there's any changes. Uh, But may the Lord be with you as you go this week to serve him.